I'm Desiree. And I'm Taylor. You're tuned into Birthkeeper Banter, a space to discuss powerful birth stories, radical birthkeeping, and all things birth outside of the box. This podcast is produced by Herbal Training, and nothing discussed should be considered medical advice because birth is not a medical event. For classes and more information, go to herbal.teachable.com. Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of Birthkeeper Banter. Um, me and Desiree are going to be talking about something really cool today. We're going to be talking about the Amish and Desiree works with Amish in Pennsylvania. And she has had a lot of cool experiences with working with them. And we know that a lot of people are super intrigued by it. So we wanted to uh, discuss some of the myths and facts and different things that the Amish do from what they call us the English people and what um, we do in society as modernized Americans um, and how that looks different for them and how they go about certain things, especially regarding birth and pregnancy. So we're going to jump into that. Um, Desiree, when you first started like looking into serving the Amish and things, was there anything that you were told by other birth workers about the Amish um, that you either found to be valid or not? Like what did you go into their community thinking? So I didn't really go looking to be in their community. Uh, they kind of just happened, but I was told many times by my teachers and those that are, you know, elder to myself that they are not as healthy, um, which it can be true, but it's not one size fits all. I find that they're very different. All of them are very different, um, but some of them do eat the very high sugar kind of diets and whatnot. And they would explain to me that they bleed a lot. They've been heavy bleeders, um, which I have not seen. I don't, I have not seen that be the case, not at all. Um, I've also been told that they have a lot more genetic abnormalities, which I did find that to be the case. And I do see that that's um, the case with them, but it kind of goes into their culture and whatnot. Like they live in a small radius and they're all close with each other for the most part, it seems. And then they end up married to like their second cousin. And of course there's gonna be genetic things that can happen. Like some of them, their kids will have like extra toes or extra fingers, um, different things like that, that are like precursors to you know other issues in the body. And that's where I find that like, the testings and stuff that I wouldn't do for myself and, you know, our normal population doesn't usually do in the natural minded community anyway, um, that it's a little bit more desired in their community or more, I don't know, necessary uh, if they desire it, of course, but yeah, they're a little bit different than our community and it is kind of in alignment with what I was told it would be from my teachers and whatnot, but also that they're not all the same and they're not all unhealthy and they're not all, you know, destined to be a problem case. I had one that told me to be careful with them, like as if I make choices for them. <laughs> like, no, that's not how that works. But yeah, some of it's been true. Some of it's been false. Okay. That makes sense. Um, so 
previously, before you got into the community and you were serving them, um, they have very little options, I imagine, because of that myth that they're all unhealthy and that they tend to have more problems and that their babies are deformed and things like that. Um, so what have you heard in regards to that as far as what their other options have been as far as birth workers and what have they said about that? In my experience, it seems as though a lot of them had only obtained medwifery care, as I refer to it as. So the state regulated midwives, the ones that, you know, they do things differently, we'll say. Um, not as much individualized kind of care where they get to lead the way. A lot of it's been very fear-based for them. Like almost all of them that I've worked with so far, aside from maybe one family, they all had home birth care prior. So this isn't a new thing for them. Um, they don't typically go to the hospital, the ones that I've been working with. Um, but a lot of them have been mistreated. Like one was risked out during labor and sent in for failure to progress as a first time mom, which makes no sense. It was the midwife just wanted to go somewhere. She had said she had to be somewhere at a certain time and she wasn't progressing as quickly as she would have liked and just sent her in. And then there was another where the baby was breached and the midwife had told her that the only option was a cesarean. That's the only thing that you can do, which we all know that's not true. Um, so she ended up being cut open and then had a VBAC because of you know her past lack of options. Just the way that they've been treated, I've, I personally feel as though they've been taken advantage of because they will believe whatever their provider says. They're going to do whatever they're told, it seems. They just believe it because they don't really have access to research and things like like we do, we can't, you know, we can hop on Google real quick and look some stuff up, look, read some studies. They can't do those things. So they do trust whoever they're with. Um, yeah. Yeah, that sounds about right. Um, so there's, I know that I previously held the thought that they would, because of their religion, refuse things like blood transfusions, cesareans, things like that. Um, have you, for the most part, found that not to be true, that they will accept those and that they're not opposed to it? They will. They'll do, like I said, they will take whatever, you know, suggestion is given to them and they'll, for the most part, follow through. Um, even if it's medical kind of stuff from the doctors if they say something they will you know ask for second opinions and whatnot but yeah they're pretty much whatever we have to do to be healthy is the most important to them so if like I were to say hey I think we need to go to the hospital and have a cesarean because this is unsafe they would absolutely take that I would think at least most of the families um, they would do that they wouldn't just stay home and you know whatever is going to happen is going to happen kind of thing. They do care. They do want to um, do whatever they have to do. Um, but yeah, they, for the most part, they try to stay home. They try to do whatever they can to stay away from the hospital. Cause we have to remember, they also don't have insurance. So doing anything like that would be a financial hit for their family for the next couple of years, probably. So yeah, there's those factors too. 
yeah, the financial thing is huge. Um, do you know why they don't have insurance? Is it just something that they're personally not okay with, with associating with the government or why is that? I mean, they associate with the government. They all have IDs. Uh, they actually have photoless IDs, pretty neat. They don't have any photos on there. And then the photo spot, it says valid without photo. Interesting, but they also get the social security number. They have the regular birth certificates. They do associate with the government. Uh, and I do believe they pay taxes. So I'm not sure. I'm not sure why, why they don't do insurance if that's a good question. Maybe they have like an Amish insurance. I'm not sure. I do know that whenever they come into um, medical expenses, the church will typically help with that. So like that's what the tithing goes for because their church is not a building. Their church is in their homes. It'll go to a different home each uh, church week, which is every other week, it seems. So like the tithes can cover that kind of stuff. That's typically what happens if a family has a, um, a medical bill that is, you know, too much that they can't afford, they will have the church help out with some of that stuff. I think that's really cool. So the photo thing, you said they don't have photos on their ID. Why is that? What is the issue with photos? I I think it goes back to like in their tradition, they aren't supposed to pose for photos. They're not supposed to take photos. Like they're, you'll never see a picture of me at Amish birth because they don't do those kind of things. They are not for photos. Of course, unless like there's been cases where I wanted to take a picture of something or a video of something a baby's doing to show some of my colleagues and, you know, my teachers and ask questions. They're okay with that. But any kind of posing for photos is like frowned upon, I guess. So it did make sense to me that they wouldn't have a photo on their ID. It was just very interesting to see the actual cards with this like blue spot where the head's supposed to be and it says valid without photo, just different. Yeah, that is super interesting. Um, so as far as like talking about fertility and how they plan out their babies and things, is it more just like, whatever God gives me at whatever time is a blessing. Is that kind of how they view things? It does seem that most are that way. There's going to be some that use birth control and things like that there. I mean, not that I know of, I don't know of any, but they, they have their set, you know, not rules, but guidelines and whatnots and ways of doing things, traditions, but all of them are a little different. Like some are going to want to prevent pregnancy for their own, whatever. Um, but then others are more, yep, whenever God gives me, they're, they're going to want that. They're like, yep, this is a blessing kind of thing. Okay. And do you find that they talk to like their girls, their teenagers and things about fertility and about when they get married, they're, this is how they get pregnant or how they don't. Um, do you find that that's common to involve their kids in the birth and stuff? So for the yeah, no, to all of it. The first part, I, I don't know. I don't know exactly what conversations they have with their children in private. I don't know. And they also talk to their children in Dutch. So even if I would hear, I don't really know what they're saying to them. But I don't know if they explain that stuff or like how menses works and how you get pregnant and how sex works. I do know that for the pregnancy and birth, children are not a part. They are not to be there. Typically, the kids are sent away. For the prenatal visits, they're either sent away or it's during nap time or the kids are at school. 
that's how it's been set where we do all of the work per se away from the children. So like we can sit at the table and talk and do the questions and, you know, go over information there. But whenever we do the actual evaluations of mom's belly and measuring the fundal height, listening to baby, um, the blood pressure, checking all the different stuff, we typically will go into like their bedroom, which was different than my, as they call them, English, our community, our people. Um, we would just go on the couch and just lay on the couch and we'll do it. But for them, they go and hide in the bedroom, it seems. And for the most part, there's been some that only have like one little kid and then that's okay. They'll, they'll be cool with just being on the couch. But those that have a little bit older of kids, they don't want them to see about the pregnancy. They don't talk about it from what I'm told. Um, I did have one family that had all girls and they were pretty open with them about how pregnancy had worked and whatnot, but the other families, no, they're very secretive about it. And then they just one day wake up and there's a sibling there, um, or they come home from their aunts or grandmas or friend's house and there's a baby there. So no, I don't think that they really do talk to their children a lot about that stuff or involve them in it. Why do you think that is? Has anybody ever shared with you why they don't? Is it a modesty thing or something else? I'm told it's just tradition. And the same thing with their postpartum care. Like they get so much support postpartum. There's always another woman in the home, whether it's a sister of the mother or it's the mother-in-law or her mom. Someone is there for at least two weeks, which is so cool. Like, I wish I could have had something like that, but that's, I asked them why, and it's just tradition. There's always someone there for someone whenever they have a baby. Like, I don't know. Tradition is their reason. I love that. I think that's super interesting because um, I'm very like, you know, kids involved in everything. Um, so that was very different for me to learn from you about them. Um, as far as their prenatal care goes, what do you see that they tend to desire out of prenatal care? Is it all different or all pretty synonymous? It's all different, but for the most part, they just do whatever I suggest is what it seems. And they so far have liked how I go about my kind of visits where they get to choose what we're going to do. This is what I suggest at this time in pregnancy and you can refuse all of it. You can, we can do more. We have these other options, but this is what I suggest. Most of them will just do what I suggest. Um, and I also like all of my other clients, I teach them how to use their fetoscope. I give all of them a fetoscope and a measuring tape and I teach them how to do their own measurements and give them their own chart. And some of them are all about it and do it, you know, every single week. And then there's others that don't. Um, and that's cool too. Uh, some of them just listen to baby with their fetoscope. Some do nothing. They're all very different in what they desire. It does seem as though they have like a fixation on hemoglobin and not a full understanding on how that all works and how there's many factors to iron and how that works in pregnancy and for postpartum is typically their concern. And they also have a lot of misinformation on like Rogam and um, vitamin K and things like that. Um, yeah, just different. That's what I was going to ask about, like, especially those that aren't on their first baby. Um, if they typically request doing like the gestational diabetes test, if any of them request um, getting like the Tdap or Rogam or anything like that, have you found it to be a common request because of the past midwifery care? 
Yeah. So yes and no, like for the vaccine stuff, no. Um, some of the women that are birthing, they were vaccinated as kids, but a lot of them weren't. And it seems like it was those generations that shifted away and they were like, no, actually we're not doing those. So they actually don't vaccinate. I haven't had a family that does um, at all. And since I've started working with them almost a year ago, uh, yeah, they don't do that. That's not something that they really partake in. They do circumcise. And I do think that it's due to a lack of knowledge, which I've been handing out information on that as of lately, because I found out it is not due to their religion. They just, that's just the, what they thought they do. Same thing as vaccines used to be for them. Um, but as for the rogam, yeah, they, some of them, not, not all of them, some of them are very happy that, you know, I don't offer it. I won't, I can't give them those things. And they're like, thank goodness. I didn't want those things. I didn't feel like my body needed that. And then there's others that are like, are you sure? Are you sure? Like, what are your thoughts on this? And, you know, I send them information. And they're like, well, I still don't understand. And it's like going in circles with them about those topics. But yeah, some of them are about it. But for the most part, they want to go with the least amount of stuff as, as possible. But if something comes up and I'm like, hey, I really think we should have an ultrasound, um, they'll typically do it for the most part. Okay, that makes sense. Do you find that the dad is very often involved in like decisions or is it mostly mom based that she calls all the shots? How does that go with the dad? I think it's different per home because I have some that I know that the alpha is the mom. But then I do think for the most part, they, they are very, they're together. They make choices together. Uh, the partner is very much involved in choice making and um, supporting. I see the most love and support from Amish partners. Like they love their women like so much it seems, all of them. It's different than what I've been used to where, you know, sometimes there's a guy that he's like, oh, I don't really wanna do this. I don't really care about this event right now kind of thing. They're not like that. They're very all in holding her and all kinds of stuff like during labor, anything they can for her right by her side. All of them have been that way, which yeah, that's different from what I've seen in our community. Absolutely. So with the Amish, do they have to, like the dads, are they working a lot because they're self-sustainable financially, I would imagine, unless the church is paying for something, but how does that go with them working while also being able to be involved? So they're all different. Like some of them have dairy farms and they work right there. So I've been able to meet the dads during the prenatal visits at least once or twice. But then there's also those that I don't meet them until the mom's in labor because they work a job that is, you know, all day. And that's not, we don't have our prenatal at seven at night and that's when he's coming home. So I don't get to meet them. So I guess it just depends on their job. For the most part, they, yeah, they all have very different jobs. Anything from breeding dogs to mating horses to doing like iron work, um, building or you know, farming, there's, they do all kinds of different stuff, each of them. So it depends on where they're at and if they're home. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. I was going to ask about what all different kinds of things that they do, but you pretty much answered that. As far as 
like electricity and stuff in their homes and them contacting you, how does that all work for their prenatal care, for their birth experience? How does that look like and play out for these families? It's very different. So (laughs) all of them are different. Some of them have all of the electricity, all the things. Like some have air conditioning, some have internet, some have Wi-Fi. Some, um, I've gotten an email before from somebody which made that much easier to communicate. Uh, I've also gotten, what else? From requests on Facebook. <laughs> Some of them have Facebook, like, yeah, they're, they're all very different. But in means of how it works for the care, some of the families have cell phones. So it's usually for quote work. So it's the guy's work phone, the dad's work phone. That's been a surprise. I've gotten texts or a call on when the mom's in labor and I'm like, what is this number? Why are they texting me? I didn't know they had cell phones. That was a huge awakening for the one birth I had attended. Um, I asked my assistant, I said, what, what called for the time because the baby was born. What time is it? And he pulls a phone out of his pocket and he's like, 720 whatever it was and I was like oh my gosh he's got an iPhone what are, what is this I was very shocked that was the uh the first Amish birth I was at so yeah I was like okay they have cell phones and yeah they're all very different but as for the house phones there's some that are very what is it I don't know more strict with their beliefs and more conservative where they do keep their phone either in the basement or outside. That's pretty standard. Their house phone is in a, out in the barn or in the shed or in the basement. They don't want it to be conveniently there in the living room kind of thing. That's also, I guess, tradition, just how they do things. Um, and it does make it hard to communicate because when they call me, I got to catch that call because they're not going to be sitting by their phone when I call back. So if they call me and I miss it and they leave me a voicemail, there's a really good chance I'm going to call them back and be leaving them a voicemail. And then I just try to catch the next call. Um, but that's common with them. And it's a lot of phone tag, a lot of voicemails, more than I've ever had in my life before. Uh, because they can't, we can't text for the most part. Some of them do, but for the majority, they can't text and be like, hey, my water broke, just letting you know they're going to call me. So like this morning, I get a call at 3 a.m. just letting me know things are starting. Like, okay. That could have been a text, but they don't have that. So that's not an option. So it is a little bit different with communicating as well as like when we first, you know, when I send them the information and the invoice and whatnot, I send it in the mail instead of email. It's just a little bit different, a whole different kind of way of going about stuff. I definitely use my voicemail and my mailbox more than I did years prior. Okay. And I imagine um, as far as like the prenatal visits that you do them all in home for them because they don't have transportation. How would that work if they had to come to you? So if they had to come to me, they would have to hire a driver, which they're pretty common in their community. They do use those. They utilize those. That'd be someone that they pay to drive them somewhere, like a personal Uber kind of thing. That's actually how I had gotten into the community was a driver was the grandmother of a woman whose birth I had attended and she drove for the Amish and she told them a story and gave them my number. And that's just kind of how that started was from a Amish driver, but that's how they would transport to places like that. Like they don't fly places. Not any of them that I have 
heard of we've talked about it before with one of the families and they're like yeah no we don't we don't fly anywhere and I was like wow interesting because I fly everywhere I go all over that's how I get to most places but yeah there's this different they either have a driver or they're taking that horse and buggy and there's different kinds of buggies there's all kinds of setups so do you find that they definitely prefer the fact that you do home visits like exclusively? Oh yeah. That's like probably one of the number one reasons that they hire me because they don't want to take a trip down to the birth center or um, what have you, wherever they would be going to the office. They like that I come right to them and they don't have to arrange childcare. They don't have to do anything. They can just be at their home. It makes it easier for them. Yeah, exactly. I would prefer that too, especially if I had to load up my horse and buggy or take a bike or something like that. Um, as far as the birth, so going back to what you said, um, like when they call you, how do you know if it's like just a regular call for a question or like I am in labor call and you need to come right now? How do you differentiate that? So all of my clients are always on emergency bypass. My phone is always, always, always on silent. And they all know that I never have my phone on. So if some random person calls me, I'm, I'm not going to hear it because my phone rings enough as it is. So the only time my phone will ring is if it's a client and they know to call me once. If it's an emergency call twice. So call once and leave me a voicemail. If it's something that I can get back to you about, like you have some varicose veins and you want me to give you suggestions on how to help those just leave me a voicemail and I will get back to you as soon as I can. But if it's something you need to tell me right now, call me two times back to back so that if I'm at a prenatal or another birth, I know that I need to take this call right now instead of this can wait until a couple hours or whatever. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. And um, so when it comes to you get the call, they're in labor and you get there how do you navigate those that don't have as much or any electricity, water supply? Like, how does that go with setting up your stuff? For the most part, the water supply has been fine. And then for the most part, the electricity, even the homes that didn't have electricity, they have like a switch, a panel that they can usually flick on that gives a small amount of electricity in one room or another, whatever. Um, but not all of them. And in those cases, we use flashlights to go to the bathroom, um, things like that. Because yeah, once the sun sets, you don't have the sun shining in the window to be able to navigate as well. Um, so yeah, flashlights are a thing. The water hasn't really been an issue. I do find that they don't want water births for the most part. Some of them do, like the one who called this morning, she's going to have a water birth, I'm sure. We're at least going to have the pool there. Um, but yeah, they're all very different in that kind of regard, but there hasn't been any water issues so far. Okay, awesome. How do you find that they go through labor? Like, do you see a pattern amongst them or is it just like the standard population where everybody's different in how they handle pain and what comfort measures, like prayers, affirmations, anything like that? The one thing I do see as like standard the whole way through with all of them is the partner being with her constantly the whole time and just being with her and holding her and supporting her. And I don't know what they're saying to each other because they say stuff in Dutch, but they looks like supporting words. They're, you know, saying nice stuff and like, we'll kiss her and that kind of stuff. But as for handling it, 
I will say that none of them have said, okay, I want to go to the hospital. <laughs> Not a single one. So they do handle it for, for what seems well, but they're all very different. Like some are very modest where they're keeping their clothes on. Some are like, um, ripping their clothes off and want to be naked and don't care who's there. They're all very different with that portion. Okay. And what about like, do these moms typically want to catch their babies or have their partner catch them? How does that go? No. So for the most part, the mom, none of them have been interested in catching their own baby. Um, I've had one or two that the dad was open to it, but for the most part, they're like, no, absolutely no. So typically it's going to be myself or my assistant that would be um, catching the babies because they don't want to, and we don't let babies hit the floor. So yeah. Yeah. I've had one tell me that's what we're hiring you to do. And I was like, okay, got you. <laughs> we're going to do that. But yeah, they're not about that for the most part. And like some will cut the cord for the baby and then others are like, nope, that's too much for me. And you know, we end up doing the whole thing, dressing the baby, wiping the vernix off. Like they have different requests, just a little different than what I'm used to. That is so interesting, especially because, um, you know, a lot of them are farmers and I'm sure they like birth cows and horses and things like that. Like they tend to their animals for birthing and have to get all messy with that. So that's funny. That was something that was very um, different for me to learn. I figured they'd be the kind that would be like all in to that and be like, yes, like I want to do that. But that is just so funny to me. Um, yeah. So as far as like the postpartum stuff, how does that typically go? So they have somebody come to their house, stay with them for a couple weeks and take care of them. Do you find that that like significantly reduces postpartum complications in the Amish? I think in theory it would, but in my experience so far, these women don't like to rest. Even if I'm like, hey, you should really, you know, sit down more and you know, rest they they want to keep going and going so I did have a few issues postpartum with women just like off the wall stuff because all going back to them doing too much too soon um so yeah that's something I've seen that they have the help and in theory they don't have to do as much they know that they don't and they do it anyway because they're driven that way they are they're very I don't know work driven and it's hard to keep them resting when I, I feel and they, their body feels they should be resting. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. Um, and then as far as like you said that the Amish get a birth certificate and social security, which was also surprising to me to learn, um, how do they go about that? Like, how does that work for them? I imagine it's a slightly different process. So it's the same on my end filing. I got to file the same documents. Nothing's different there, but typically I will have the family go to the notary. There's one document that needs to be signed at a notary and both parents will sign it. Um, and then they'll send it to me and then I can send it in. But with the Amish, I do it a little different. I have the notary come to them. So depending on where they're at, I have a travel notary that'll come uh, to their home so that we don't have to take them somewhere or go to a notary. Some of them don't understand how the photoless IDs work. They're just not with it. Um, so it helps to have someone that comes to their home. We notarize it in the home and I file it the same as I do everybody else. 
but yeah, I do offer that extra piece for them because I know that if they hired a regulated midwife, they wouldn't have to do that extra step. So I take care of that part for them and don't ask for them to set that all up and figure it out because it is harder for them to get to a notary to set up an appointment and all that kind of stuff. So, yep, that's the one thing that I do differently, but it is all the same paperwork. Okay, that makes sense. Um, as far as like their lifestyle outside of pregnancy, birth, postpartum, um, was there anything that you found that was really fascinating to learn or new or, cause I know that you have always been into the Amish, so you probably knew a good amount, but was there anything that was like, whoa, that's different? Yeah. Number one was the cell phones and internet. And the day I got an email from one of my clients, I'm like, how are we getting an email right now? That was very surprising for me. Um, also just, I don't know, every they're, they're also very different, but like even their foods that they eat, they're very different, different kind of stuff. Um, more so, you know, healthy stuff, but, uh, what else do I think? Hmm. I don't know. I don't know. They're just the way that they are. Like, I, I don't know. I connect a lot with the, the dads. It seems they're, some of them are super funny. Some of them are just like normal people. And I do think that they spend more time in our worldly world doing work and whatnot. So maybe that's why they're more, you know, sociable and funny and relatable and whatnot. That was a surprise to me. Like when one of the Amish dads told me that he knew the song Cyclone and he used to listen to his boom box in his buggy and stuff when he was younger and like, cool, cool stuff to like talk and relate with and be like, yeah, okay. We aren't that different. That is so funny. I love that still. (laughs) (laughs) Jamming out. (laughs) Um, Has there been anything that you have had to change, like in how you offer, um, support to them or like anything that like do you have to cover up your tattoos or anything like that when you're around them that would be offensive to them so at first I did I felt really like anxious about it or maybe like I don't know I didn't want to be insulting but none of them seem to care about my tattoos they don't they don't care at all I think they like what I do and what I offer and yeah, nobody's ever commented on them. Nobody's ever said anything about them, but I don't anymore, especially now that it's starting to get warm and most of them don't have air conditioning. I don't be wearing jackets, no, because <laughs> that's uh, really, really hot. Um, but I do be mindful of what I wear. Like I'm not going to wear my, you know, <laughs> inappropriate birth shirts that say stuff and word it funny or whatever stuff. I'd be okay with wearing somewhere else, but for them, I won't. Or like anything V-neck or low cut, I won't wear that. Um, I don't want to wear anything that would make her or her partner feel uncomfortable. So yeah, like light, I'll wear light clothes because I don't want to be sweating in a birth space, but for the most part, I'm covering everything, not as much my tattoos, but yeah, they haven't really said anything about it. Okay. And then, um, I know you used to have documents that had like really beautiful birth photos, but, um, and then on your car, you used to have birth stickers that had the birth photos and things like that to advertise. Um, how did they feel about that? Yeah, they don't like that stuff. They're, they, 
might find it, some might find it offensive, the more conservative ones, especially, or the ones with little kids, they don't want their kids to see birth photos and whatnot on my car. So those are gone. We don't have those anymore. Um, and my birth documents, I did redo all of them. I ended up having to reformat all of it and, you know, make it all just words. It's boring, but that's what they want. Uh, as well as all of my other stuff, like my questionnaire before I will hire any, uh, allow someone to hire me, they fill out a questionnaire online. They just, you know, it's a form. And I had to make that into a printable format. I had to get everything into printable format because yeah, they don't exactly all have internet. So there were some changes I had to make and like different supplies. I had to get different supplies for the birth pool, um, like a siphon for the homes that don't have any electricity. And what else? The air pump, one that I charge that we don't have to plug in. We can just use it and I charge it afterwards. Uh, what else? The supplies for the PKU, all that kind of stuff. That's very different too. Stuff that I didn't really do with the other community. Um, yeah, we've, we've changed a little bit of things around, different supplies, different ways of going about things to better accommodate for where they are. Like I can't plug in my electric kettles at their homes for the water births. I have to do some pots on the stove, which they all seem to have huge pots, which is really cool. The regular community, <laughs> you never know if they have pots or not, but all of the Amish homes have big pots. Yep. Great. Okay. So in comparing to like our world, um, what do you, so I feel like our world has a lot of like anxiety around pregnancy death, postpartum, birth, whatever. Like our world is just filled with anxiety and medicalization, indoctrination, all of that. Do you find that their community is any different in that? Do the moms have a lot of fears or are they more trusting of their body? How do they view that? They are definitely more trusting as a whole. I mean, there's some that have fears, but definitely not as much as our regular community. And I think it's because they don't have the pressures of the world. They have their small community and their church and then people that they call on the phone, but they don't have the TV. They don't have the news. They don't have social media with all of its toxic stuff. Well, some of them do, but for the most part, like they are not subjected to those things. So they don't, they don't from what I see. And of course, they don't, I don't know that they could possibly not tell me how they're really feeling about things, but they do seem very calm and they absolutely trust their body all of them so far, uh, for the most part, they're pretty trusting of that and have not, like, they don't obsess with things like, I'm worried about uh, high blood pressure or I'm worried about, like, whatever. They're not worried about things. They're, they're just very trusting. And I think that that helps. And that's what facilitates healthy pregnancy and um, straightforward birth. And then with how they view death and their spirituality and things do you find that that's different than how like the the we would view it I guess yeah they are definitely very different with that in my opinion and it's largely why I only want to work with the Amish because they're not as likely to place blame where it's truly not to be placed um they very much see life and death as what it is very linear like there's both sides of that and we can't pick even if we would do every right thing she can have the most healthy pregnancy and her labor be great and 
I do everything right, everything's perfect, and we could still have outcomes where babies don't make it. And I think that it would be more likely in their community, especially with the genetic abnormalities I have seen and the stories I've heard, uh, things of stillbirth and whatnot, they're more common with them. And it seems as though they have the same understanding of <laughs> it's up to God, God gets to choose, we don't get to pick. Even if we do all the right things, these things can still happen. And they just have a better understanding of that, whereas our world is very forced life. Like, what could we have done that would have changed that? Like, or who do we blame? How can we blame somebody? How do we, you know, have someone to pin this on? They're just very different in that regard. And I like that. I like that about them, that they, they don't have these unrealistic expectations and they hold this similar understanding. Yeah, I feel like that's so important and that so many can learn from their views on life and death and birth and all of those things because it's just so grounded and makes so much more sense than how we live in this constant fear of death. And yeah, I imagine that would relieve your anxiety as a birth worker significantly. Um, But even so, like, with them is is it viewed differently by the state by the government when a death happens in the Amish community do you know I think it would be seen the same way I think it would be seen the same exact way I mean I I believe it's treated the same way in the way that they would interview and whatnot um but that would also depend on the state so that would definitely differ per state but here in Pennsylvania it doesn't matter if they're Amish or not. The, the state seems to not get involved unless um, the family would be the one going after the person. That's what it seems to be here, the climate anyway. Okay. Um, so I've always been curious why they don't have their own like Amish midwives. Have you ever heard of that or know why that someone in their community isn't trained to attend births? I haven't found any yet and nobody's mentioned them to me. All of the ones that they've had previously, they've shared with me who they were with prior and none of them are Amish or Mennonite. I did hear of and see books from uh, Mennonite midwives, but I have not with the Amish and I I don't know. I don't know. And I, I bet it's because they're home with their kids. I just, I don't know. I do have a hope and a desire to one day have one work with me and be able to pick her up, go to her birth and train her and show her the things that I do and have her for her community. Cause I think that that would be ideal, but also the fact that they can't drive. (laughs) So they can't drive across town and get to a birth quickly. They would have to get in their horse and buggy. And I see how that would be an issue. So I think travel would be another, um, yeah, travel for a birth would be another issue for them, I would think. That makes so much sense. Yeah, I didn't think about the fact that they can't just like hop and go. They'd have to serve like a, a maybe a one mile radius or five miles or something very small in order to serve. And yeah, like you said, the um, so the women typically stay home exclusively. Like you don't see a lot of women working I mean, they work in the in their yard, in their fields, in their gardens. Uh, some do flowers, some sew. Like I've had families that that's their job; they sew. 
Um, so they do sometimes work. Some of them work in the schoolhouse. Some, you know, that's usually girls that are not married. So not my clients. I have clients that when they were younger, they were teachers in the school and whatnot. But yeah, for the most part, they're home, especially with kids. Um, because yeah, their kids are there. And then they go to school during the day. Typically, they'll go to school up until eighth grade. And then they're done with school. Um, but they also get out for the summer. Like they just got out a week or two ago. So the kids are always home now. And the mom's there too, even if the dad works outside of the home. Okay. I wonder why it only goes to eighth grade. Do you know? I don't know. I don't know why. I would assume that that's when they just start working and whatnot. Um, but I'm not sure. I've never asked that. Okay. Yeah. I feel like that actually like makes sense when you really think about it because that's when we start coming into puberty and things like that like we're more so small adults where we can start working and start doing our trade and like mastering skills rather than just sitting through more education that's kind of uh excessive because I definitely felt like I used none of what I learned in high school curriculum wise in my life <laughs> so I feel like that does make more sense. Do you find that the kids help with the farm, with housework, things like that? Yeah, I was just going to share about that. So even when they are in school, some of them have chores that they have to do in the morning. Like at this uh, recent birth I was at, in the morning, baby was, you know, born around four or whatever. And the kids are waking up around five. I hear her alarm going off upstairs. It's like this, it sounds like a merry-go-round kind of like soft channel music. And I'm like, what's this? And he, the dad was like, she always sleeps through it. She doesn't wake up, <laughs> but she did eventually get up. And, um, he told her and the next older girl, so 12 and eight, I believe they are. And they have to go out to the farm and do chores in the morning before anything else. So they weren't allowed to meet their baby brother until they finished all of their chores. And they were real quick that morning. Dad said they jumped right up and were out because they wanted to come <laughs> see the baby. But yeah, they do chores in the morning. Five in the morning, these kids are getting up, going out and doing the stuff in the farm. And then I'm told that at the end of the day, the younger ones will do those same chores because you have to milk cows twice a day. Um, and the younger ones would do that in the evening. So yeah, it was just interesting to me. Wow, that is super fascinating. Like, nope, can't see the baby until you go do what you got to do. That's really funny. Um, I did think of something that I forgot to ask about um, postpartum. What do they do with their placentas? Like, do they eat them or do they feel opposed to that? So that's pretty different for everybody too. Some of them have had us encapsulate, which would be one of my assistants. We'd they would pay me to have them do it or they have a community person. The last birth I was at, they have a community girl down the road that encapsulates for them. So we just put it in the freezer for her. Um, so they have people in their community that do, that do that kind of stuff, which was pretty neat to learn. Uh, but then I think the large majority, they've been gifting them to me because they'll just bury it um, for, for teaching purposes. I let them all know, like, here's your options. You can consume it. You can, you know, have someone else do it or you can plant it or you can give it to me and I'll use it for teaching. And a lot of them have chosen the last option because they don't want it. But then, yeah, there's some that want to encapsulate. So 
none of them have wanted raw consumption though. I will say that. Wow. Okay. That's really cool. Um, and I imagine they can't do like placenta smoothies and stuff because they, they typically don't have like, do they have freezers and blenders and stuff? Oh yeah. They definitely have freezers. They have freezers. They have ice cream. Almost all of them have ice cream in their freezer or custard or something. <laughs> they all have freezers, but I haven't seen a blender. I have not seen a blender. No, but I'd imagine they'd have some kind of handheld something. Okay. That's interesting. And then you had said earlier about the kids, um, even if they were talking to them about like fertility and stuff, or um, if you were talking about prenatal stuff that the kids usually wouldn't understand because they speak Dutch. When do they learn to speak English? So they learn that in school. Um, it seems as though if they're under five, well, yeah, before they go to school, they're not, they're not learning any of it. Um, but yeah, once they go to school, that's what they're being taught. So five and up, they are starting to learn English and the older they are, the more they understand. Like I've talked to kids and they know exactly what I'm talking about, but then anybody four and under, they mostly just stare at me. <laughs> they just stare. They don't say much. Um, if, when I would bring my baby, some of them would say BB because that's how they say baby in Dutch, BB and point to the baby and whatnot. But that's as much as they would say, like they'll wave hi and bye, but they don't really talk and they probably don't know what me and mom are talking about at the table. Wow, that's so cute. <laughs> um, so with working with the Amish, knowing that they can have a higher chance of like stillbirth and genetic abnormalities, how do you keep like your fears in check and um, feel comfortable, feel comfortable attending for yourself? I mean, it just goes back to their autonomy and choice. I know the things to look out for uh, and I offer all of their options. Like, hey, do you wanna do this testing? We can do this sort of monitoring. We can check all these things and whatever they wanna do, I'm gonna do what they say, I'm their boss. I mean, they're my boss, they tell me. They tell me what to do and I'm gonna do that. And I know that we both have the same understanding of I'm gonna do the absolute best for you and we're gonna hope for the best outcome. And if there wouldn't be, I, I know that I wouldn't be, I mean, I guess they could, they could do any kind of thing, but for the most part, I feel safe with them that they wouldn't try and blame me if their kid has a genetic issue and it caused them to pass or something, something that I truly, I can't fix that. I can't fix genetic issues and they understand that. Um, so there isn't, there is no control. There's no control with anything having to do with birth. Uh, or pregnancy, we can't control things. We can do our best. We can offer all of the testing. We can, you know, make every right move, but we can't hold control of anything, even in our community. Nobody can. So yeah, I don't really have fears in that regard of the genetic stuff because we can't control those. So why be fearful or concerned with something that I can't control? We can just offer what we can offer and test for the things we can and you know, do the best that we can. Right. Absolutely. Um, is there any advice that you would give knowing what you know now to birth workers that are wanting to get involved with the Amish community? I have no idea. I mean, just be genuine. I think that that's what they like the most. At first I was so nervous 
Like, what are they looking for? Are they looking for more medical stuff? Cause they're really going to be sad, but no, they're not. And like some of them, they don't really show emotion well. Like, so you can't tell if you're doing good or if, if they're not, if they're liking what you're doing or if they're not. And I struggled with that at first, but come to find out they all super, super loved, you know, what I do and how I offer care. And they go tell all their friends and that's, then their friends come to me. And yeah, it was neat to see that like, they do care, but they don't show it. They don't really show it in their face. They don't, it's just different. It's different. So yeah, just be genuine with them open and honest and they love that just you know that's not as common from the other midwives is what it seems the authenticity kind of thing so I think that that's what they like being genuine and yeah caring actually caring and not seeing it as a paycheck yeah definitely yeah um how do they pay you um speaking of paychecks how does that work is it all like cash or how do they go about that? Uh, I've had, you know, cash or check. That's about it. Cash or check is how they pay, which I prefer it that way. I am not a fan of PayPal. I will never accept PayPal again. Um, yeah, they send me a check or I get it at the prenatal. And the coolest thing with them is I don't have to remind them about payments. Oftentimes I forget about the payment and they're like, oh, I forgot your payment here. I want to pay you. They remember. And they're very, very thorough with that. Like they're not going to try and get me. If I'd end up going to their birth and they didn't pay me in full yet, I know that I'm going to be paid because they're that way. They have that moral and that value. They're you know, they, they care, they appreciate what I'm doing and they show that and they make sure that I'm paid. Multiple of the men after the birth have said, are you sure we're paid? Are you sure you don't need anything more? And I'm like, like one family even gave us, me and my assistant each a hundred dollars randomly. I'm like, okay. But like, yeah, they're really big on making sure that we're paid. Um, but yeah, cash or check has been the only two means. I love that. And that's how it should be, honestly, is making sure that you're a birth worker that is so important to your family um, to make sure that they are taken care of and just being very mindful of that and not frivolous about it. Right. I definitely agree. I wish more people could be like that. <laughs> yes, exactly. Like we could, our world could learn so much from the Amish community. They just seem so grounded and like well-rounded genuine people um is there anything that has made you like uncomfortable anything that has been like ooh, that's a little that's a little much or it's all been very positive no like some of their traditions with like church and whatnot sounds like a lot in <laughs> their church days some of that stuff sounds very different like it's a very long drawn out thing uh, their service and then they eat afterwards they have this weird meal with different foods and I'm like that's different that's real different but no not with the my work with them no I think that everything's been very positive and nothing was too weird nothing was yeah they're women just like us okay that makes sense um how about if there is a transfer during labor or whatever, how would that play it out? I don't know if you can speak on that or not, but how would that go for them? Uh, I think similarly to anybody else, it's the same kind of thing. I do believe that they treat them in the facility, they treat them better. 
just that I've, you know, heard of and heard stories about and seen, they, they're respected. They're respected in their religion and their choices and whatnot. Whereas like, sometimes they can be combative with our community. They're not as much with them, but yeah, the, everything like the step work is the same. Okay, cool. So they're down to like, if they have to take an ambulance or like if baby has to go, um, do they do like car seats and stuff? Like, how does that work? Yeah. So funny story. (laughs) I had a mom that ended up having to go in two weeks after birth, like way later. And the dad called me, let me know. And she went via ambulance because he he couldn't keep her well. She was bleeding a lot. And yeah, she went in the bus. She went in the bus and then called me back and was like, actually, the baby's here and she needs to eat soon. And I don't know what to do. He's got what, four other kids. He can't just go somewhere. It's the middle of the night. And yeah, so I had to come pick her baby up so that I could get her to her mom and nurse. And then for me to feed her and keep her till mom was cared for. And when I got to the house, the dad, (laughs) he put the baby in the car seat. She was swaddled. She was swaddled and wrapped clearly by her mom. And he just stuck the baby swaddled and all right into the car seat. And I was like, "Mm, no, you're going to have to take her out of that (laughs) and get her buckled and all of that. And he was like, oh, okay. So they clearly don't use car seats often. And I was told that sometimes they'll take them in the buggy if mom is the one driving it and dad's not there. But for the most part, they just hold their baby in the buggy, but they do have car seats. They don't use them much, it seems. And that dad didn't know how to use it, <laughs> which I mean, it makes sense. That is so funny. So just thinking of like the whole nursing thing, do you, have you seen any Amish families that choose formula or goat milk or whatever, or is it like a very firm, you're going to figure out how to breastfeed kind of thing? I did speak with one woman who she just doesn't produce, I guess. Um, she wasn't a client of mine, but I had spoken with her and she makes like the, the formula at home, but everybody else, all of my clients, they have all breastfed all of them, every single one. That's awesome. And do you see, do they tend to have struggles with it or because they have so much postpartum support and things, does it seem like it's easier for them? I mean, I'm sure I'll have cases, you know, where they have a hard time and they need more help, especially if it's like a first time mom, but no, so far, none of them have had issues. They don't have that doubt. And a lot of breastfeeding failure or, you know, what, however you want to label it as people not breastfeeding comes from fear of, I won't be able to do this or, oh, this isn't working or just lack of confidence that alone can deplete your ability to produce or for baby to feel that energy and be frustrated and not want to latch correctly so like the mind is such a big factor in that and I feel like they don't have that issue they don't have the doubt they're just like uh my mom nursed my aunt nursed everybody nursed so I'm gonna nurse and I can because everybody else can so they have a very different mind take on it whereas like our society is like well we might not be able to produce we might not uh, make enough and different things like that. We already have that conditioning, some people, and that just gets in the way. Right, definitely. And I imagine like you don't see a lot of Amish moms pumping and things like that just because of lack of electricity. Do they use like the hakas and stuff still or no? 
So I actually learned that they have uh, foot-powered breast pumps. I have not gotten one. <laughs> I'm pretty sure they're very pricey, but I was told that that's a thing. And they do have the hand pump ones. Like I've suggested those to some clients that, you know, we've talked about that or they have to go somewhere or whatever. Um, Cause I can buy those for them on Amazon and get it to them, but no, they don't really use the electric ones. And they do use the, the hackas. I give all of my girls that too at birth. And I believe they do use that. Okay. And what is like their, their stance on breastfeeding? Do they nurse in front of you or is it more like a cover up modest kind of thing? And then do they let their babies nurse until they wean naturally? Or what have you seen as far as that? They're all different. They're all very different. I was just talking to a woman the other day who she will nurse around like her girlfriends or, you know, her family, but around her partner's family or around certain other groups, she'll go into a different room um, because she feels as though it's, they don't like it and they want to fit who they want to make people happy. So they're not like me. I'll just nurse wherever. I don't care. I don't care if you're uncomfortable or not, but they like, don't want to make people uncomfortable. It seems for the most part, but I mean, they've nursed in front of me. I've seen all of them nurse actually, but I don't know how they feel about like wet nursing and things like that. I'm not sure if that's a thing. I would assume no, but yeah, for the most part, they're conservative with it. Okay. And you've brought your baby to Amish births, right? So how, how do they feel about that? Has anybody ever shared with you about having your baby and nursing your baby there? no they've never they didn't have an issue they were some of them were really excited about it they were very happy for me to bring my baby uh recently I've been leaving her when I go to prenatals and births and they're like where's your baby why isn't your baby here <laughs> like kind of sad about it and I'm like well she's at home with her dad and yeah they've never been upset about it they think it's for the most part it seems as though they felt it's amazing that I'm going to work and I also have a baby they're like I don't know how you do that but I also have my assistants and both of them lactate and that helped significantly because I typically wasn't the one nursing them they would nurse if I'm holding a prenatal or if baby's about to come I'm not going to be with my baby I'm going to be where we have to be and yeah in those times they typically will have her and would nurse her and help with that Sweet. That's cool. I'm glad they're super open to that. Um, is there anything else that you wanted to share about the Amish? I mean, I think that there's so many topics that we could talk about. I mean, we're gonna have to make a whole separate podcast, I feel like, but yeah, that's a pretty good amount for today. So I don't really have anything else to add. Awesome. Well, thank you for sharing everything. And thank you guys for tuning in and listening. Please feel free. Um, we have an option to ask questions on our podcast. So please feel free to um, ask us questions and tell us what you want to know about the Amish so that we can share because it's just an amazing community, especially in how they do their pregnancies, births, and lifestyle in general. All right. Have a good day, guys. Thanks for tuning in to this awesome episode of Birthkeeper Banter. 
Make sure you subscribe to our podcast so you can get notifications for future episodes. Again, for classes and more information, go to herbal.teachable.com. Brought to you by Herbal Training. Thank you.